Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Robbie Bowman, who is an author, and even though she is a Tennessee native, she is a longtime resident of South Carolina's upstate region. She has written for South Carolina newspapers and was even an adjunct instructor at North Greenville University. So welcome to the podcast. Mm, thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, um, done a lot of volunteer work. Uh, after retiring from North Greenville, almost there, I guess I was there almost 15 years, a part-time English teacher. Uh, following that, I wrote these books, went around the state, um, did book signings and enjoyed it very much. And each time, as I started with one book, each time I would sit and do book signings, I would collect more miracle stories. So I ended up with three published books on miracles. And uh, so I collected as I sat there doing book signings for the first book. Uh, following that, I got very interested. I'd always been working with the homeless here in town as a volunteer. Uh, I was a prayer lady, I would do prayer requests at our local Triune uh, Mission, Triune Mercy Center. From that, I moved into jail ministry. So wow. I was at uh, our local uh, detention center at one of the many religious volunteers. And uh, while there, for whoever wanted to go to a church service at the local jail, from that, I started, I asked, could I do some writing classes for inmates? So before COVID came and all volunteers had to leave everywhere, I was uh, teaching inmates, men and women inmates, uh, basic writing. I had 63 men and women finish the little course I devised, uh, about an eight-week course. So I was doing both of those things at the local jail. That's a long answer to that, but it took, I was there about five days a week at the local jail in one capacity or the other as a volunteer. That's really fascinating. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, folks who are incarcerated or, or in, in jails, um, you know, there are, there are lots of programs that are available to yes. them. So how did, how did you get started with that inmate writing classes? Since I was there uh, as just one of the religious volunteers, as we are called or were called, um, I knew the lieutenant and I, I just thought about it. I thought if I provide some appropriate sixth grade workbooks, would they approve it? So I went, sat down, had an interview and uh, the lieutenant let me start out. I started out with women inmates there at our local uh, facility. And then from there they said, would you like to teach the men? And I said, I sure would. I would enjoy it very much. So uh, one thing led to another and uh, I found it very well received. Uh, the, those who worked hard really got a lot out of it. And I had homework and I took role <laughs> and I would go into that section of the jail and um, work on all kinds, they were on all kinds of levels of abilities. And I, I just loved it. <laughs> That's so neat. I hope you get to do that again as soon as things open up again, Curtis. Yeah, that would be great. And, you know, it, it's, it's things like that that make me think of, you know, there are a lot of programs in prisons that do yes. help lower recidivism rates. And hopefully yes. something like that would really allow someone to, you know, think about 
being able to do something different when they're released and um, you know be really productive and that's nice that you're contributing to that. Uh, I talk I talk with each and every one that way and spurred them on, got mm -hmm. them going again. That's great. Well, um, reason why we're here talking today is uh, to learn more about your books and you've got three books out there and they are mm -hmm. Miracles of South Carolina, then more Miracles of South Carolina and Miracles of the Upstate. So there's a trend there. Uh, mm -hmm. It's all, all, has, all having to do with miracles. So tell us a little bit. <laughs> tell us a little bit about those. I didn't plan to do this. Uh, I had done some freelance writing before, a, a very small piece in Southern Living and Sand Lapper long ago. You know, different along with newspaper writing. Uh, but this one uh, came out of the blue. Uh, I've been, as I mentioned before, uh, working at every Sunday night. I go to the soup kitchen ministry. And I would come home uh, Sunday night and uh, pretty tired one night. And I told my husband, I'm going to bed early. And I did, but the phone rang. This would have been probably 2007. And a publisher was on the line. I'd never heard of him, but he, had, he was a Furman graduate. And he said immediately, would you like to write a book about miracles uh, of the upstate, I think he said. And I said, well, let me think about it. He was calling from Pennsylvania. And after about a week, I called him back and said, yes, I will try. Because my daughter said, if someone asks you about writing miracles, you're always telling me you hear them, you see them, you know about them. So I did. Uh, I told him I would try. And so I just collected one after another. And I started with a homeless lady that I met uh, at the soup kitchen and from there another would appear all walks of life all types of people different ages different uh, church backgrounds and uh, one came after another and I uh, just after a while I would have one book finished and uh, wait a little while and start on another if that so, makes sense it does <laughs> and, um, one of the things that I think about when I, I think about these titles is what constitutes a miracle for these stories? When you have mm -hmm. people come to you and say, this is what happened, how do you make a determination on whether or not it would be something you would have included? Mm -hmm. These are Christian miracles that I uh, sought after and found. There were many types, sometimes very small, uh, a lost item that was miraculously found or um, a healing event or I'll, I'll tell you the one, the first one I started out in a minute. Uh, sometimes, as, as I say, they were very big, but most of us live small lives and have small miracles. Uh, the lady who uh, lost her, but it was big to her, lost her wedding ring, her uh, engagement ring while she was gardening all day and said, oh no, I'm in trouble over that. It had a dime, she'd lost weight, it slipped off her finger. All day she'd been planting azaleas and uh, she prayed about it. Her cat named Heaven walked up, brushed against her. She followed the cat to the backyard. The cat started digging randomly in the backyard and there was the diamond ring. So that's a small miracle example, but it was big to her. Her ring meant even more. And um, I just find that uh, everything happens in our individual lives takes on a bigger 
aspect. And that's a miracle to her as well as someone being healed from cancer, uh, all kinds of things like that. See what I mean? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the one I'll tell you real quickly uh, that I started out with uh, was uh, when I, I was would lead a group, we pray for the city of Greenville on Wednesday in the sanctuary there. I would ask anybody around, people who'd come in for bags of food, anybody uh, walking through, who, anybody who might want to come. A lady had a bag uh, from the Mercy Center. I said, would you like to come in? And uh, she said, I'd love to go in the sanctuary. I'd love to. I hadn't been to church in a long time. She followed me in. I said, we have donated Bibles. Would you like one? She said, yes, my name's Angel. There you kind of tipped off. Uh, this is the first one I wrote up. So I took her to the back. We kind of had jumped up in piles. And I said, this one's kind of dusty and torn up. Let me find a better one. I looked through four or five. And uh, then I picked it up, opened it up. And Curtis, written by someone in pencil, in all capital letters, said, Welcome home, Angel. You're kidding. So these, these were all like this. <laughs> so I said, Sweetie, I'm so glad you're here today. I know you've had a hard life, and uh, you are very welcomed, and God wants you to be here today. And she went in and started singing, got on the floor and sang and on her knees. It was really exciting. I'm getting chills when I talk about it. So that was my first one. And from there, it just kept going. Uh, Curtis, there were a number of them actually that a lot of us did, but I started with her, the lady named Angel. I never saw her again. Was she an angel? I don't know. I did interview a lot of people who had seen angels. I have not, or a uh, vision in that regard. But anyway, I started with her because I loved the pencil large letters that said exactly what she needed to hear in her life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so each one of these uh, were that way. So you mentioned that um, the miracles kind of come to you. So when you have been to book signings or something, do people actually like stand there and, and tell you about a story? And then do you have to get their contact information so you can follow up with them? Precisely. That's the way it went. Uh, and so I went to a lot of stores. My publisher was wonderful. He did so much, did all the covers. He would book these. And yes, mainly men, I found, would stand there because I'd have a real pretty poster with a cover of the book. They would stand there because I was a, I think, non-judgmental non audience. Mm -hmm. And so men in particular, ladies as well as they were buying the books or just said, I know you won't laugh at me. I've never told anybody this. And they would tell me uh, an amazing story of, uh, again, a healing or a rescue where mm -hmm. an angel came and helped them fix their car on the highway after an accident, all kinds of things like that. Uh, remember Reader's Digest used to have this type thing? Well, especially men would come up in that, by that I mean, I think they, felt funny telling other people, but I was a stranger st sitting there with the topic and it opened up that conversation for them. It was very enjoyable because uh, we would become momentary friends and they would tell me I would, if it seemed uh, like the appropriate for the book series, I would get their contact information, follow up and do interviews and sign offs on every one of mine. It really is interesting when you mentioned that, you know, because you're a stranger and it yeah. might have been easier for them to say something about a miracle they knew about to tell you versus 
telling someone they know more closely because there's probably not going to be any kind of judgment on your part because they know that's what you write about. That's it. Uh, a grandmother, I'm a grandmother, but I, when I was speaking probably 15 years ago or 12 years ago, and maybe before I did the third one, a grandmother came up, said, I have a miracle. I have not told anybody for 50 years and now it's time for me to reveal it. Uh, that was about uh, after her cousin was killed in a farming accident and she loved him very much. She was a little girl and she saw that night, everybody in the house was crying. She went to bed and she saw him appear at the end of the bed and say, tell mama I'm fine, like I'm in heaven and vanished. And she said it was very real, totally comforting, but she never told anybody, thought they would not take her seriously. And I said, I do, I know that was, see what I'm saying, a lot of people lock these inside. It was good when they would speak them. Do you get a sense when you have interviewed someone about a miracle, do you get a sense of relief on their part that maybe they've told something that is meaningful to them, but they've never really told anyone else? Mm -hmm. Very, it is. Uh, the other, they're always relieved and happy to share it. And no one out of, I've interviewed, I would say 110 men and women, uh, everything from a nuclear engineer to a school teacher, pastors, all kinds of folks. No one doubted their experience. They had no doubt whatsoever of, of the authenticity of their experience. Now, but sharing it's a whole nother deal. But they had no doubt that it was legitimate and very moving, sometimes the most moving experience in their whole life. Um, I, I guess this might be a little impossible to answer because it's about other people, but why do you think some of these folks internalize these stories? Uh, do you think they just automatically think other people won't believe them? Won't believe them. And they're, well, think of uh, great treasured moments in your life. You don't want to just cast pearls before swine in the sense of, you know, you want someone who will be treated with dignity. Not that your family members or your friends don't, but you don't just throw it out there necessarily. Maybe the moment, you know, you ask someone to marry them or you have a moment when your parent is dying and they tell you an important um, essential information. Those are treasured, uh, valuable, that's valuable and you want it to be received. And these are supernatural also. These events uh, have, that supernatural quality. And so you want it to be received and listened to. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You see what I mean, Curtis? So, so often they just think, I'm just gonna write it. I tell people, journal it, at least journal it. Get it out somehow. Yeah, I think that's important for a lot of folks to understand um, that process. And I guess uh, one of the other questions I would have is, what is, your writing style like? Because you have these stories and they're other people's stories, but what kind of style do you put them into? I attempt to be very, um, be natural. Uh, they're not fictionalized. So that I'm a kind of an old newspaper writer from my days. So I really, I did an interview with each person like you're doing now. And so I did it that way, but I tried to 
I did not want it to be dry, but I wanted it to be factual. And uh, so I tried to put in their, their color and their uh, input. But I found that uh, people speaking about this, any supernatural event, they're very precise. Uh, it's almost like a court of law. In a court of law, they're giving a real testimony. So I had a friend of mine, she's a school teacher with her master's degree. She said, Robbie got it wrong when I give him the article to read and correct it. She said, the angel was 10 feet tall and you said eight. And it, it was right there in the kitchen and so forth. So there's a great precision to uh, events of this nature. So I, try, I did work on in an accurate way. And I'm sure that's very important to <laughs> the individuals whose, you know, stories they are, because there's something that those kind of um, visions or, or miracles, they, mm -hmm. they're very important to that individual, so they would be very vivid in their memory. Mm -hmm. Not uh, smushy or smarmy, but there's a real precision to it, which surprised me, as I'm, I'm a reporter for this material and I, I thought I was pleased with that. What are some other things that surprised you from some of your the interviews and the stories that you've mm. recorded? Um, the great variety uh, that small mattered as much as the large. Uh, people, did, well no one sought publicity when I was doing this and this was sort of sort of pre-internet i mean what would we say my last one came out in 2012 wasn't pre-internet or whatever but i had to seek out everybody they either came to me and just told me confidentially or i would say i heard that you you know you were drowned. one was in a big magazine i talked to him about it but nobody was just trying to brag or get their personal story out i had to seek it out, uh, assure them of, again, the dignity of it, and we're talking about, so these are not grandstanding people. It's an intimate story, an event, actually, that happened that they wanted to share. So there wasn't any thrill-seeking or any of that kind of thing, so I was always pleased with that. It was a real honor to discuss each one. They're, very, they're all very, very different. And how have you ever had to deal with confidentiality? Do you have to make sure that you're not being too descriptive so that it actually does reveal someone's identity? Well, I use their real names. Okay. Uh, so I got sign-offs. I have a wonderful publisher, so I'm looking at some of the different... Hey, my eyes just landed right on Ellen's story about her grandfather. Uh, Ellen, who is uh, a worker, a uh, co-worker uh, co with you. I, I, I used real names, and but they read them and agreed with the treatment of it. I think only one or two, I might have removed the names, but I, I used a real story. The names, I might have removed somebody they mentioned. But um, we really did it as if it were, it's a magazine portrayal, and uh, and was true really true stories. And what, what I find really interesting is that you coming from a uh, writing background where you actually, you know, are doing newspaper articles and then transitioning into something like this. So you're really just doing a different kind of reporting. 
Mm -hmm. It is. It, it's a different kind of reporting. And I looked at it that way. And I think people felt that. I hope they did. Uh, I got immense uh, cooperation. I had a few people who just who got cold feet at the last minute. One was an airplane pilot, and I had some really good ones. I had a few ones that were really good, but I, uh, they got cold feet, and they didn't feel comfortable about it. Then I said, just pull it. We won't do it, but I appreciate you talking to me. But it, uh, it was just a tremendous opportunity. I hope people, uh, in, and I believe they will, enjoy hearing this, these accounts. I, I kept them brief. Uh, so uh, I've had many people tell, tell me that, uh, they want to, they read one or two before they go to bed at night. And so I kept them short for uh, people who read them to their children or you just enough to digest before you go to bed at night, but also you have an uplifting uh, feeling. And uh, I saw uh, food for thought. Uh, they've been used, they were used a couple of times for Bible, Bible studies. And so I put, I pulled in appropriate scriptures, but uh, just all kinds of folks can look at them, I think. And, also, uh, my point is to resurrect your own miracle. That's another thing, Curtis. When I, I've been to a number of speaking engagements and always people come up later and said, I had no idea that I would have had a miracle in my life, but I actually did. Now I know that's what it was. It wasn't just something weird. It wasn't just a fluke. And so it elevated their experience and they revisited their own. I hope that happens uh, when your listeners um, hear, the, hear these. I believe it will, I will. Well, since this is Library Voices SC, uh, one of the things mm -hmm. I always like to ask is if you have any kind of library related stories that you would like to share either, you know, up to date or from your childhood? Just that I love libraries. I love Nancy Drew mystery stories. <laughs> so we would go check them out in Tennessee, my small town of Gallatin, Tennessee. And I just absolutely love the library. I love reading to this day, uh, uh, the written word, hearing it, every aspect about it. Uh, I did go speak at a few libraries, seemed like, I don't know if it was in Easley area or something like that. I did a few speaking or, or at least made contact with them. but. I don't know that of work that's more valuable than uh, getting beautiful writings out to people, making it available to people in every capacity. And of course, you're doing it so that it can be listened to, which is opens up. We all, I probably liked very much Prairie Home Companion. Remember listening to those radio, you know, radio show. So I just think it's very valuable work and, and valuable as a gift to the public. So I just would thank you for the work you're doing. Well, you're welcome and thank you too. And one of the things that we have done through the South Carolina State Library Talking Book Services is make, I, I'm not sure if it's all of them, but I know at least one of your books has been uh, audio recorded so that we're able to make that available to our mm -hmm. talking book services right. for, for the blind or print impaired. So, yes. And maybe we'll be able to get all three of them. Well, I would like that. Hope you can. <laughs> Ask Ellen if she's got some free time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, okay. I would like to. I would like to thank you for talking to me today, and um, it's fascinating about these books. And again, that's Miracles of South Carolina, more Miracles of South Carolina, and Miracles of the Upstate. And we will put a link in the podcast page so that folks can 
see more about your books. And of course, you can always Google them or I'm sure find them on Amazon.com or some other kind of area. And also check your local library. Folks may be able to just find your books in their local library. So we always encourage that too. Well, I thank you. And I, I will check with my publisher on the purchase of them, but I, I think that works too. Thank you. Thank you. And I really appreciate you being with us today. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.